In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we're going to continue studying in the book of 1 Kings. Last time um, we studied chapter 8, uh, which focused on the dedication of the temple. King Solomon had constructed the temple and furnished it, and after doing so, the Lord appeared as a cloud inside of the temple uh, to reveal himself. And we also read about how um, Solomon, uh, in, in, in this part of the dedication, he held this feast where he sacrificed so many different animals. Um, he said 120,000 sheep. And we spoke about how King Solomon was like offering the best that he had in the dedication of the temple. Um, God willing, today we're going to continue uh, in chapter 9, um, speaking about um, the, the relationship between Solomon um, and um, the, the gifts that he exchanged with uh, Hiram, the king of, um, of Tyre. Uh, and so it said, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. So as, he, as God had appeared to Solomon before, um, he is appearing to him now again. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So we had spoken about this before, where um, King, King David, uh, God had promised him that if uh, he remained faithful, then his lineage all the way throughout all the generations to come after him, they would remain uh, in the throne. They would have the throne of David. But if you or, or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. So all of these warnings, of course, we know that God, he gives warnings with understanding and wisdom and oftentimes with a vision of the future that he knows the kinds of problems and the weaknesses that we will fall into. Um, and uh, just as we look in the example when God was speaking to Cain um, right after the fall, he, he knew that Cain was contemplating um, murdering his brother out of jealousy and so he goes to his brother he goes to Cain sorry and he says if you do well will you not be accepted and if you do not do well sin lies at the door and its desire is for you but you should rule over it meaning what meaning God knew what was in the heart of Cain as he was contemplating to murder his brother and so he came to him preemptively and he said to him if you do not do well sin lies at the door and its desire is for you but you should rule over it so even though Cain at this point had not committed any sin in terms of like going to kill his brother or trying to attack him or anything like that. And yet we see that God who knows the hearts, he knows our hearts, he comes to us and he tells us what we need to hear and what we need to know even before the temptation has presented itself or even before um, it has been fully manifested. Before we fall into the sin, we are being warned by God. And this is what God is doing here. He is saying, that this place, right, which is a place for forgiveness, reconciliation, salvation, right, as long as the people follow God, then it will be available for them. But if the people, it says, uh, like, like turn against God, he says what? Uh, this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. So he's saying if, if, if the people reject me, then they will no longer have access to this house, to this place that you have dedicated for the, the forgiveness because they have rejected me. They have rejected forgiveness. They are not seeking forgiveness. They are not repenting of their sins. Um, and as we mentioned before, the, the warnings that God gave 
about the, the temple and about the people were very specific. He knew what was going to happen in the future. He knew that the people were going to reject God. They were going to turn to idol worship. He knew that they would be exiled in Babylon and that actually the city and the temple itself would be crushed. And we spoke about how David or um, Daniel, the prophet, continued to have faith even after the destruction of the temple that he believed that God was still present with the people and God could restore them uh, again. So here, again, this is another, another warning, another warning that God is giving to the people. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God who brought the fa their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Right. So not only is the sin going to result in like the corruption and the separation from God, but it'll always it'll also be kind of like a sign to all the rest of the people, right? All the other people, all the other nations, right? All the nations who come by and say, um, uh, th th it says they will hiss. Why has the Lord done thus to the land and to this house? Why? Because they forsook the Lord their God. So all the people rec recognize like the moral depravity of Israel in that day when they turn against God and, um, and everyone will find that the house is desolate, right? And, and this is the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, but they have embraced other gods. And you see this like dichotomy. This is the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt, but yet we have embraced other gods. This is the God that supplied for us everything that we needed, who brought us out of slavery, and yet we have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. And it says something about like how easy is it for us as human beings to follow after idols, to follow after different gods in our life, that even though we identify that God is the one who frees us from slavery, and yet we still play the harlot with these other gods, embracing these other gods. And that is kind of like the paradox of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Yes. So definitely calamity comes. A lot of times the calamity is in the form of the natural consequences of our sin. So for instance, someone who um, begins to take drugs, um, the effect that this has on their life, on their job, on their family, on their health, is the natural consequence of the sin. Um, a lot of times, the maybe a feeling even of like when we live a life of sin, um, the, the feeling of isolation and shame and guilt um, when, when we embrace sin, maybe we cause damage to the relationships that we have. So there is a lot of natural consequences to all kinds of sin. Um, some people, you know, they, they speak about, oh, look, this hurricane came and hit a certain city, and this is like God's judgment on that city. Uh, we can't know. I mean, we, we can't know, but we don't assume I mean, natural disasters are common, and they're all over the place. So we can't say, well, God is punishing the city because he sent a natural disaster. Is it possible that it can be? Yes, God can do anything. But we don't immediately jump to such a conclusion because um, even, I th what is it in the book of Ecclesiastes? I can't remember the book. Where it says, what the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. Meaning, meaning like calamities in the world because of the state of corruption of nature um, happens to all. Right. So there could be righteous people and all kinds of calamities happen to them. But we can't interpret that to mean that God is sending specifically those things. Um, even when there's also the reverse, right, where um, calamities happen to the righteous, like in the case of Job, for instance, uh, he was a righteous man, had not committed any sin. And yet, you know, having the insight and the, the backstory of what was happening to Job and how the devil was trying to destroy him, it, w it, it was actually the, the, the suffering was coming because of his righteousness. So it's very hard for us as human beings to look at the, s the, the, the kind of the natural corruption of nature and to kind of point to that and say, well, this is because and here's the reason. It could be random. Um, it could have a reason. We don't know. But more often than not, the calamities that come on us because of our sin are actually produced by ourselves. We, we, we bring them on ourselves um, because they are the natural consequence um, of our wickedness. Now it happened at the end of 20 years 
when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. That King Solomon then gave Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, What kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, as they are, as they are to this day. Um, so the, what happened here, so remember Hiram, the king of Tyre, he is, was one of the foreign kings that helped Solomon in the construction um, of the temple and of his own house. So he's saying now after the end of all of this period of construction, after he had built his own house as well as the house of the Lord, King Solomon wants to reward this king, t king Hiram, okay, uh, because he had helped him all throughout this construction. And so he decides to give him uh, a region uh, of the land of Galilee. Galilee is the northern part of Israel. He decides to give him these 20 cities uh, in this region, thinking that this is something that will be pleasing to Hiram. But we see that Hiram, his response is, what kind of cities are these? Like, this is not something that is, is good for me. And so he called the land Kabul, and um, Josephus, the historian, he's a Jewish, famous Jewish historian, he said that the word Kabul in Phoenician means fruitless, right? It is, these are fruitless cities. Um, and then later on, actually, after seeing the reaction of, of the king, uh, he didn't want them, so King Solomon um, takes, them, takes them back again. Um, and one of the reasons that people say that Hiram would have rejected these cities is because they were agricultural cities. Like, King Solomon gave uh, Hiram, like, like, the best lands, and the best lands, of course, are good for, for growing things, are good for agriculture, right? So from a farming perspective, these would be the best lands. But we know about Hiram and his people is that they were not farmers, right? There was nothing that they could do with this land because they were builders, okay? Um, and, and, and so they were not adept at growing food. This is why earlier on, whenever King Hiram and King Solomon were making an arrangement about how they will be, you know, how Hiram will be compensated for the work that he did, he asked Solomon to give him food, right? Because they are not as adept at growing the food themselves, so we will offer you our, our wood and our building expertise, right? Whereas you will provide for us the food because we cannot grow it ourselves. So when King Solomon gave him the cities, which are good for growing food, he said, this is, there's nothing I can do with this. This is not the kind of, of cities that we need. Then Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. And this is the reason for the labor force which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. So these were um, important cities that were built. Um, and also the Milo, this was believed to be like a strong fortification, like a military fortification, stronghold tower. Uh, it was also mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Um, as being part of the city of David. So it was this famous structure um, that was also built um, previously. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burnt it with fire, had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city, and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So prior to Solomon's marriage, so remember Solomon married the daughter of Pharaoh. So prior to Solomon's marriage to, to Pharaoh's daughter, Egypt had conquered this city called Gezer, and it was returned to Solomon as a gift upon his marriage to the daughter of the king. And Solomon built Gezer, Lower Beth Horon, Balath, and Tadmor in the wilderness in the land of Judah, and all the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and in the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites who were not of the children of Israel, that is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely, from these Solomon raised forced labor as it is to this day. So there was a group of Gentiles that remained living in the land. If you remember, and we spoke about this at length before, God intended that when the Israelites entered into the land of Canaan, that they would wipe out all of the Canaanites and they would take all the land for themselves. 
And although at the beginning the Israelites began to do this and they were very fierce and going and killing all of these nations, um, after a while they began to be complacent. They felt like they were powerful and that these other nations were afraid of them. So instead of wiping them out, which of course took more energy and time, they decided to subdue them, to make them into labor force, to make them into servants, essentially slaves, so that they would benefit from them instead of destroying them. And of course, this was not what God wanted. And in the book of Judges, chapter 2, God actually says, because you have done this, I will no longer be with you when you go to battle. Right. So it, there was a curse placed on them because they did this. This was not what God wanted because he knew that if these remnant of the Gentiles who were pagans remained, that they would have a negative influence on the people. They would turn them to idol worship, even if they are a small minority. And this is actually what ended up happening. Right. So here, this group of people that was left in the land here, Solomon is using them as a labor force. But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. Okay, so he, he didn't use the Israelites for the forced labor. He used the foreigners. Otherwise were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. Now three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar, which he had built for the Lord. And he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the temple. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Elath on the shore of the Red Sea and the land of Edom. So Solomon built this fleet of ships for trade. Um, and as we said before, from the very beginning, when Solomon became king, the very first thing that he did, he began to think diplomatically. He said, okay, how can we have good relations with the nations that are around us? He took Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh, of course, king of Egypt, uh, as his wife, and this cemented the good relationship between the two nations. So King Solomon, one of his strengths was making these diplomatic ties with the other nations. This is what helped to make Solomon very prosperous, but it also is what helped him to be at peace. You know, um, one of the reasons that God chose King Solomon to be the one under whom the temple is built is because his era was a peaceful time. There was no war. Contrary to King David, who was constantly at war. His father was nonstop wars with the Philistines, with other nations all the time. Whereas King Solomon's time was characterized by a time of peace. But this was like, you know, um, also had some, some downside. Because in making peace with these nations, right, he began to allow them to influence him. So he's building this fleet for trade with Arabia, India, eastern coast of Africa, all of these places he made trade. Um, Ezean Geber that is mentioned here is located at the far end of the Gulf of Aqaba in the Red Sea. So this is uh, far away from Israel in the Red Sea. Um, and actually there there was found remains of metal furnaces and crucibles, refineries, storehouses, bronze and iron, all related to kind of these um, uh, the, like, like these fortifications, these buildings, um, all of this work that is being mentioned here. Um, where where this was held. This fleet of ships and all the remnants of the trade that was happening there, they found all of these things, um, the archaeologists. Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who knew the sea, to work with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there <coughs> and, <coughs> and brought it to King Solomon. This Ophir is a famous thing. You, you know where we, we, we where, where do we hear about Ophir? In Kiach? Huh? Which hymn in Kiach do we hear about it? Ophir. In O Mary, very good. Right? So in the hymn O Mary that we chant during the month of Kiach in Midnight Praises, we mention this Ophir. Okay? And so we'll uh, try to get on what is this Ophir? that is being mentioned in the hymn, okay? And this is where it's coming from. So Ophir was a city, and, and, and some people believe it was in modern-day Yemen, 
Um, and it was named after one of the descendants of Noah. So in, in Genesis 10:29, it mentions this person named Ophir. And the region was famed for its gold. And you can see in 1 Corinthians 29, verse 4, it's mentioning this about this city of Ophir. And this is what's mentioned in the hymn as we are like looking at like St. Mary and her purity as being like the gold of Ophir. Okay. Um, in the book of Job, Job compares uh, wisdom to different types of precious materials. And he says in Job 28, it cannot be valued. It is wisdom. He's, he's talking about wisdom. He says it cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. So Ophir was like well known and famous for this gold that it had, this very pure and precious gold. Okay. Um, in Psalm 45, it speaks about this royal wedding between Christ and his bride, who is the church. And in verse 9 of that psalm, it speaks about the church that sits at the right hand of the king, but also it's in our understanding it is uh, an, an illusion and a symbol of St. Mary, okay, who is sitting at the right hand of the king. And so in Psalm 45, verse 9, it says, King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Right, and so this is where in the hymn, of course, in the month of Kiak, we are celebrating St. Mary um, at the, the preparation of like the nativity, like getting ready for the nativity. And so this psalm who ref that's referring to St. Mary prophetically, right, and he's sa it's saying, your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. So this Ophir that's mentioned here is well known for its gold, okay? And, and here when it says, your, at your right hand stands the queen, this is why always in the church, for instance, here in the iconostasis, you see that the Pantocrator icon, right, is on the, on which side? Here, on this side, right? And at the right of the Pantocrator, at the right of, the, of Christ, is the, the icon of St. Mary. So St. Mary is always the icon to the right of the icon of the Lord. This is why also in weddings, the, the, in when the bride and the groom walk into the church, it's always that the bride is to the right of the groom. Okay, for the same reason. So it's all symbolic, symbolic. Um, and this is the, the words here from the hymn, O Mary. It says, the fifth is a sign of hope. As a dove, she appears with ophir gold upon her shoulders. Okay, so this, this purity and this, this, this value um, is coming from, um, that we mentioned here in this hymn, is coming from this understanding of ophir. In several places it's mentioned. We said it's mentioned in Psalm 45. It's mentioned here um, in First Kings uh, chapter 9. It's also mentioned in the book of Job, chapter 28. Okay. Chapter 10. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So who is this queen of Sheba? Okay, so some people say that this queen of Sheba is referring to an Ethiopian queen from Africa. And, and they say that um, the Ethiopians believed that Candace, if in, in Acts chapter eight it mentions this queen of in ethiopia her name was candace okay and that she is the successor of this queen of sheba okay other people say that this queen of sheba is from arabia because arabia was a larger kingdom than the kingdom of ethiopia it was also famous for spices and rich in mines of gold silver and precious stones so it was much more wealthy um also ofer which is, um, we said, was in Yemen, which is in Arabia, right? So Ophir, being in Arabia, this is where all of this gold came from, and she is coming to offer this Ophir gold to King Solomon, okay? A third group of people say that Sheba is like an independent nation, independent of both Arabia and Ethiopia, but consisting of a mix between some Arabians and some Ethiopians. So it was like a group of people that were mixed together, but it was an independent nation. Some people say this as well. The Lord actually referred to this queen in Luke 11, verse 31. And she, he said about her, the queen of the south, 
which is this queen of Sheba, okay, will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. What is it that, what is the meaning behind this? Why did the Lord reference this event where the, the, this queen coming from wherever, Ethiopia or Arabia, that she is coming to visit King Solomon? Why did the Lord mention her? The verse? It says, The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Okay, the acceptance of the Gentiles. So definitely she was Gentile. Okay. And how will she condemn them? Her existence condemns them. Her existence. Yeah. Her existence is con condemning to them, right? Why? Because, like, he's saying, if, if, because remember, he, he, Christ here is rebuking the Pharisees, right? So he's saying to them, like, the Pharisees, you are rejecting me. Like, I am the Son of God who is dwelling among you, and you are rejecting me, and you're rejecting my wisdom, right? But this woman, this Queen of Sheba, recognizing the wisdom of Solomon, and the wisdom of Solomon, of course, is nothing compared to the wisdom of Christ. She, like, recognizing the wisdom of Solomon, this was enough for her to leave her kingdom and to bring all these gifts and to travel all this way just so that she could meet Solomon to learn from his wisdom, right? So this is why he is saying that, like, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here, right? This is why she will rise up in judgment. So she is like the counterexample. Like if any of us say, oh, well, I didn't know or, you know, we, we couldn't tell that this was Christ, you know, that this was the son of God. You say, well, the, the queen of Sheba, she traveled for hundreds of miles in order to see Solomon. And actually in the next verse, he gives the same type of example using the people of Nineveh. He's saying like the people of Nineveh at the preaching of Jonah, they, they, they repented of their sin. And Jonah was like a reluctant prophet. Like he, did, he, he, he didn't even want to be there, right? Like he, he wasn't too enthusiastic about his mission, right? And just with the short number of words that he said, the people repented and they changed. So he's saying if those people repented at kind of the, the reluctant sermonizing of, uh, the, of Jonah the prophet, how much more should you be repenting at my words? Because a greater than Jonah is here. Right is what he says. So, so he's using so queen. The, this queen is like even like in the even though you think about this is like this is a pretty minor event, you know. Like when you really think about it, it's like okay, this woman that this queen that you never really th hear about her before or after this, you know, she didn't really do anything. Um, all she did is travel from one place to the other and give gifts to King Solomon. Right. But 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 even this person in the eyes of God, like what, what she did was great, that Christ would even use this story and this example in order to show this. And this also kind of reminds us of the three wise men. The three wise men, seeing the star, they traveled to see the birth of Christ, the, the, the newly born Christ, and they brought gifts with him. Just like she, after hearing the wisdom of Solomon, that she chose to visit him and she brought also gifts with her. It says here in this first verse, it says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, what, what fame is she hearing concerning the name of the Lord? This was why it was wise what she did. She didn't, of course, we know King Solomon was extremely wealthy, but she didn't, she wasn't like interested in his wealth. That's not what caught her attention was the wealth of Solomon. And you could also say, you know, it would have been possible for someone in a position like her to want to make diplomatic ties with Solomon for her own selfish kind of self-interest, like saying, well, if I have, you know, a good relationship with this powerful, wealthy king, then this will be good for me and my country, right? But the thing that caught her attention was the name of the Lord, meaning the wisdom that is coming from, from God. And so she came to him to, you know, for the sake of his wisdom and not for the sake uh, of his of his wealth um, it says in um, 
in, in Proverbs 31.30, this is actually speaking about the virtuous wife that's mentioned in Proverbs 30 and 31. But here King Solomon is writing, he says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Meaning that the, the, the focus that we should have in, in evaluating the value of something should not be on like the exterior uh, beauty of something, but like, you know, the, 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 the core, like what is really like, how is a person fearing the Lord, not just what it appears like in a kind of a superficial way um, from the outside. And this is even how he is, he is speaking, in, of course, in this chapter about women. And he's saying in this chapter that a woman's external beauty should not be her characterizing factor that people look to, but her fear, her fear of the Lord. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Um, according to also the historian Josephus, um, she did not come to him to pose like philosoph philosophical questions, and she didn't enter into religious or ethical debates, but she actually presented him with riddles, um, kind of like the riddles that Samson had done to the Philistines where he offered them riddles. Um, so she's coming like with these riddles and, and wanting to test to see the wisdom of Solomon. Is he able to answer these riddles or not? And I'm very bad at these riddles, so I guess I'm not wise. Um, and when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by, by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And as we read earlier, when God appeared to Solomon in a vision, and he said, ask me whatever it is that you want from me. And of course, Solomon, he asked for wisdom. And so God responded and said, I will give you what you have asked, and I will give you what you have not asked. I will give you the wisdom you are asking for, and I will also give you the things you have not asked, which is glory and honor and wealth and all these things, I will give it to you. So when she came, she was mesmerized by everything. She was mesmerized by King Solomon as a person, as with, with his wisdom, according to the name of the Lord. And she was also mesmerized by all of the, the glory that he had and all of the, the things that God had blessed him with, even down to the seating of his servants. You know, like for it to mention that, like, like, the, like it must have been that King Solomon was so, like, so wise that everything he did was like perfectly arranged. Everything he did was done in a way that would just like, like, like perfectly done. And, and so she is taking notice of all of these things. Then she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord, your God, who delights in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king, to do justice and righteousness. So she is saying all of the people who are his subjects, all the people in his kingdom, all of these people are so blessed because, because they have Solomon to be the king, right? And what she even heard about him cannot compare to, to seeing him in person, right? Um, even like in, in Job chapter 42, um, the famous verse that Job says about God after having experienced all of the suffering that he did, he said, what I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, right? I, 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 I heard of you in concept, right? But now when I see you, it is beyond measure and description incomprehensible of how I can like even contain in my mind all that you are. And this is true about God, and we see this in, in many different places. Another example is the story of Philip and Nathaniel, where Philip has this encounter with Christ. He goes and he tells Nathaniel, his friend, and Nathaniel is kind of skeptical until he tells him, come and see. And so Nathaniel comes himself, he meets Christ, and, and the, thing, the thing that he experiences from Christ was beyond what Philip could have described to him, right? This is always why we say, like when we're doing evangelism or inviting people to church, is don't feel like you are sufficient in order to, like, to describe God or to, to attract people to God alone. 
Like when you say come and see, you're saying I believe that when you come, you will have that encounter with Christ yourself and he will offer for you what, what I cannot offer. He will give you what I cannot give. And, and that is really the end. Like what is evangelism about? It's about connecting uh, you know, someone that I have a relationship with to have a relationship with God directly. And so this is kind of what this queen is, is experiencing. Like I had heard about you. I heard about your wisdom. I'd heard about your kingdom. But I, I couldn't comprehend or, or fathom the depth of it because I had never heard or seen anything like this before until I come and I see you myself. And certainly anyone who has an experience with Christ knows that the depth of love and the, that, that relationship that we have with Christ is beyond, beyond measure, beyond comprehension, beyond description, that really only a person who experiences it can even begin to speak about it but even the words that we say about it are not enough so so again like job said i heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you and so she is praising him and saying that all these people who are again his subjects are so blessed to to have him um and and it's certainly the true uh, it's true that they are all blessed because god has blessed him with this uh wisdom then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. So this almug wood, um, according to some people, this almug wood is um, like this fragrant wood. Um, and and it's like very heavy solid wood had this nice color and so it was very like precious wood you know like um uh, you know maybe we take wood for granted now um because there's wood everywhere you can go to home depot and get wood um but but at the time like having this high quality wood like this was a big deal and the king made steps of the almug wood for the house of the lord and for the king's house also harps and stringed instruments for singers there never again came such almug wood nor has the like been seen to this day. Now King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Certainly the experience that the queen had in Israel, she would take back with her to her country and it would have some, some effect. Of course, you know, they didn't have the internet Right, people couldn't see themselves, um, but she would come back with this the story to tell about what is it that she saw, and that it would have a big impact on the people. And this is part of the evangelism, right? Um, even when we speak about the Feast of Pentecost, so on the Feast of Pentecost, there were people present in from many different countries, and when when Peter went out after he had received the Holy Spirit and he gave this sermon, and it says that three thousand people were baptized. These were 3,000 people, and, and the other people watching were people from all kinds of different nations, and some of them also, like let's say from Egypt, right? And they would come back to Egypt, even before the coming of St. Mark to Egypt to preach and to establish Christianity in Egypt, there was the introduction of Christianity, right? Um, because of this experience that the people had. So she went back to her country. She spoke about what she saw. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. So he was extremely wealthy. Like maybe there was no other kingdom that was as wealthy uh, as King Solomon. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went to each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Remember, he said this is one of the buildings that he built like for administrative purposes. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps, Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. And this picture, if you can see, it kind of shows um, his throne. He's sitting, uh, is it this? No. 
Like he's, this is his throne, like up here at the top. And then there's all of these steps and these lions on the left and the right of the th of these steps leading up to the throne. Um, you know, there's this controversy, this question that comes up at different times uh, in the church. And the question is, when you build a church, how much money should you put into it? Because on the one side, people say, well, it's best to um, save the money and give it to the poor. And the other side, people say, well, this is the house of God, and we want it to be um, glorious so that when people come, they realize this is not just like any other building, right? This is a special place where God exists, and he deserves the best, right? Like we always speak about giving God the first fruit. Like why would we make a secular building look very good and then um, the house of God not? So what do you think? Huh? It depends on the bank loan indeed. <laughs> but what is the principle we should operate by? I'm not saying that I know the answer to this. I'm just I'm wanting to hear from you. Like, what do you think? Sorry? Beauty is a form of evangelism, yes. Actually, St. Mary's Church down the road, of course, it's a, like a cathedral-style church. Um, it looks very different than any other building in the area. And there will be people, random people, who will come to the parking lot and want to go into the church just because of the way it looks, right? That if you had built it a more modest-looking building, that wouldn't have happened. And actually, my coworker that I worked with before I became a priest, he would tell me that because he would live in the area, and whenever he would drive by that church, his son would say that it was a castle, right? Like, so it was noticeable, right? So there's benefit to that, okay? Mm hmm Definitely, right? So, so like, who we are as people, this is what is also going to attract people. Like, it's not just a building, but we as the temple of God can be an, an attraction to Christianity because of the way that we live our lives and the way that we talk and the attitudes that we have. And that's something that's going to go with us wherever we go, right? So that's also very important, and that's free. also have to ask like where is this question coming from because judas said the same thing right he said this money could have been given to the poor mm -hmm. but we also know that judas was stealing he was handling the the money for the ministry and he was stealing from that yeah so he was saying that out of a place of like it's not like he was actually going to take that money and give it to the poor he just wanted the money to be... He wanted the money for himself. For himself. So there could be wrong motivations, really, in both sides. There could be wrong motivations on, on whether I, I want to spend money on the church versus not spending the money on the church. Like, yeah, it's possible that someone wants to spend the money on the church for, like, very good and sincere reasons, and there's another one who wants to do it out of vanity, right? Like, you could have both ways. Um, there's a story... There's a story about... Um, like a Catholic, I don't remember if it's like I don't remember if it was like a monk or a priest or who's giving a tour of like one of these very um, fancy, luxurious uh, cathedrals, like in the Catholic Church, and he was giving this tour to somebody and saying, "Look at like what we have now," and and so he was using the example of like when Saint Peter and Saint John went to the lame man who was sitting um, in front of like the temple. And, you know, when, when he was asking for money. And so this priest was saying, you know, gone are the days where we say uh, money and silver, gold and silver, I do not have. Right? But then the person he was giving the tour to, he said, but also gone are the days where you can say, you rise up, take your mat and walk. Right? So it's like everything has to be done with the right spirit. Yeah. Did you have a comment?
Yeah. Exactly. Like God himself complained and said, you are putting all of your money in your own houses and you're leaving my house desolate. Actually, when you look at the instructions that, that God gave to build his house, it's pretty grand. Every, gold everywhere, you know, like it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a simple place. It's, I'm sure it was much grander than all of those people who lived there, you know. I'm sure normal people didn't have gold on their walls, right? So this is why it's a difficult question, you know, because, you know, even Christ said, like, what is the pure religion? Is to take care of widows and orphans. Like, that's the like pure undefiled religion. That's how what he says about it. But then you see also this example. So I think like many things, like there has to be a balance, right? We are not neglecting the house of God, but we are also not neglecting the people of God because the house of God is for the people of God. The house of God is not a place that God needs to exist, right? Like God doesn't need his house. The house is a place that we need in order to come to be connected to God. So yes, it has to be good. It has to be nice. It has to be an attractive place. But at the same time, without forgetting or losing sight of the fact that the people are the reason that the house exists, right? The reason of the house is to bring the people into the house. So like many things, there's not like a simple answer. There's not like one right answer that we can say. But we can say, like when St. Paul was speaking about the spirit versus the letter, if we do things with the right spirit, then yes, maybe we have different opinions about what should be done, but we do it with the right spirit. We do it through the work of the Holy Spirit, as opposed to doing it because of greed, because of lack of care for the poor, because of vanity, because of other reasons. And I think if we are approaching it with the right spirit, then we will find the right answer, the right, the right balance between um, these two things. Yes. You are in the church to receive blessings. Everyone goes to church to receive blessings and forgiveness. So when you give to the church, you're more open to giving because you're like, okay, if I only give 500 when I can give 1,000, does that mean I'm only getting half of my sins forgiven? There's that guilt of conscience of being in front of God. But I also think, personally speaking, that when you give openly in church, that also teaches you to see the poor person, the widow, and the orphans, because you're much more stingier when you're giving to others, because you're like, well, I'm never going to see them. Um, like when you drive by and somebody's standing at the street corner, you give them a dollar when you could give them maybe 10 or 20 because you're like, oh, he's gonna go and drink or whatever. But if you practice giving in church, you should be saying, I can give more. So you learn to give more also by giving to the church. I think there's a verse I think it's in Numbers. I don't know which one it is, but it says when they were building the temple, they asked, you know, how are you giving this? And they said, why would we ever worry about what I'm giving? Because it's all from the Lord. Mm. The fact that I have this much money is from the Lord. So just give, right? Yeah, and definitely like tithing is was like the only command like God is giving and he says, test me. You know, test me. If you give and you pay your tithe, that he will open the storehouses in heaven and he will shower us with blessing. So definitely, this is something that, you know, we shouldn't even look at it as much as a sacrifice that we are giving to God. More like we are gaining. We are gaining the more that we give. <coughs> all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Like, like something like silver, which is, you know, you would normally say is a precious metal, but because of the wealth of Solomon, like silver was considered worthless, right, in the kingdom of Solomon. Um, for the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So the king Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth, in riches and wisdom. 
Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. So even here we see part of the reason that people would be uh, take notice of King Solomon was because of his great wealth, that he would be known because of his wealth, which again, like back to what we were just discussing, like that could be like a, a representation of like, okay, you have a church that's a very fancy, right? Um, but what is it doing? Maybe that's a reason to attract people, you know, to get them in, right? That doesn't mean that, again, like that can be done with a spirit of vanity. But I'm, what I'm saying is just getting the attention of people is the first step, right, to, to, to maybe something else. Yes. All the churches in Europe now, right? I mean, they're like these extremely beautiful churches, right? And now they're just museums mm. because no one actually goes to church and no one recognizes that there's a church from the outside, but on the inside, you know, and now they have like information boards on like the history of the church, which is like get nice, right? But it's no longer like a place of worship. And so I feel like, like you said, I don't know what that balance is, but it is a very like serious line because we can't become museums. Yeah, and like those churches are like historical churches that at one point in history were used mm -hmm. as churches, but then over time they just became relics and the people left and it just became a monument that people would go and visit. You're exactly right. Um, and Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had, he had 140, uh, 104, 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiva. The king's merchants bought them in Kiva at the current price. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So this is the end of chapter 10, just speaking about the prosperity uh, of King Solomon then. Does anyone have any comments or questions? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Can we pray? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day and for allowing us to study your word. We ask, O God, that you grant us the wisdom of Solomon as he had, but not to use it, O Lord, just for our own vain purposes, but to use it to serve one another and to give of ourselves, of our time, of our efforts to those people who are in need. We ask, O God, that you bless us according to your will with whatever it is that you see fit for us to have. For we know, O Lord, that from you everything comes, and we ask, O God, that you do for your children and for your church according to your will and according to your timing. Grant us, O Lord, to be a beacon of light to those people who are away and, and far from you and living in darkness. We ask, O God, that you give us wisdom and purity and you let us to be a model of righteousness and spirituality for the world to see so they would come, O Lord, to your house and praise and worship you and attain salvation for themselves. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.